Deborah now in our land. Deborah's name means sing, the singing bee. It doesn't sound great, does it? But she also pours out honey, which is sweet. And in the scripture, God promised us the land flowing with milk and honey. A sign of abundance, ease, prosperity, just the goodness of God. But this is the prophecy in part. I was so moved by this because it was confirming to me what God was saying to me already. First, she was talking to me about declaring and decreeing, speaking forth with boldness the word of the Lord. Beloved, this time, at this time, it's going to take courage. It's going to take a stepping out in boldness because some will not hear. Some will persecute, and it's okay, because God is faithful. But this is partially of what I wrote down from this prophecy that I watched yesterday. It's called The Mantle of Deborah. You can catch it on YouTube, and it's worth hearing the whole thing. So Deborah's name means a bee, a singing bee or one who speaks. She points to a colony of bees, not one, but many. An army of daughters rising fiercely to proclaim the word of God for this hour. Her words release the sweet honey of Jesus while together swarming and attacking the enemy's plan to defend her hive and will attack any enemy that threatens her territory with a deathly sting. I can hear the gates of hell shrieking at the sound of this approaching army. Hell cannot stop what is coming. Here they come. Can you hear them? God's daughters of Zion, a mighty army of beauty and strength that are coming over the mountains mountains are obstacles. We all have mountains in our lives. They're obstacles. But we're coming over that obstacle. Amen? Like a mother bear with resolve for her, her, in her mother's eye to protect her young. Beloved, we want to protect our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren. Amen? protect her young, to restore the family, redeem the unborn, and retrieve the lost prodigals. Amen. They are coming to pour out a sweet fragrance, that's honey, of Jesus over the earth. Here they come, warriors and nurturers, soldiers and protectors, 
a fierceness, love, and strength combined. God is calling you, daughter, a charge to your motherhood over this land. A charge to arise, take back the territory that you have been assigned. This is our assignment, beloved. Watch as the Debras arise like a cloak spreading over this nation. A divine call from heaven is resting. I love that word. Resting upon the generation of daughters this hour. They were courageously and fiercely pushed back the darkness and exposed it to the light. Psalm 68:11. God Almighty declares the word of the Lord with power. And a warring woman of Zion declares its message. I can hear the ground shaking as these daughters march together in unison, sending shockwaves into the enemy's camp. That reminds me of Gideon. Going into the enemy's camp, and guess what? He heard the plans of the enemy the word of the Lord through the enemy's camp as they were talking. So use anything to let us know what is coming and what is needed. He used the enemy. (laughs) They came to retrieve their territory. Here they come. Can you hear them? The daughters of God with fire in their eyes. They burn with passion for their beloved. And they are moving in response to his call. His call is one of urgency, like a drum beating with the sound of war, whose notes are calling out to the corners of the whole earth. His voice calls out to his daughters. You see his voice. Beloved, speak, declare, decree what the king says because it cannot be revoked. It's a time, beloved, for our voices to be bold and strong in the truth of the word of God. Amen? His voice calls out to his daughters, rise up, my daughter, rise up. I am releasing, take it, I am releasing the mantle of Deborah and the mantle of Esther to rest upon you as you stop and step into my calling this hour. This is your moment. I am giving your enemies into your hands. Amen and amen. Yes and amen. In one hand, they are holding the sword of the Spirit, and in the other, they are holding the blood of the Lamb. They are marching to the sound of the lion of the tribe of Judah, who is roaring come to rebuild the ancient ruins, to repair the cities destroyed, to revive and redeem the devastations of many generations. Now you're ready, my bride, to come with me as we climb the highest peak together. He goes with us. He will never leave us. Amen. Together we will rage war in the lion's den. 
king's daughter. For I see the Holy Spirit releasing the mantle of Deborah into your hands. It is a mantle of courage and boldness. I see a flame flickering in your spirit. It is going to burn brighter and brighter as you begin to step out in courage and boldness. Do not hold back. Just as J.L. drove that tent peg deep down into the very meditation. Remember, not the, the strain. meditations that have set up territory. I see you stepping into your divine appointment, your divine calling, and the Holy Spirit is saying, rise up, stand up, speak out in this moment. Daughter, speak out. You are going to drive that tent peg deep down into the meditations of the earth where the enemy has been trying to set up territory, not only over your own life, not only over your family, but over your territory in this moment. Your territory where you live is where God has appointed you for this moment, for this hour. You are here for a season, daughter. You are here with purpose. I rebuke every single lie that has come against your voice. years ago I read a book by uh, Chuck Pierce and he had one chapter in the book that was all about women rising up. It was my favorite chapter of the book. I'm still waiting to see that day. I'm waiting to see that day for women to rise up. My wife said it's here. 
seven churches, and uh, Pastor Bo from Toledo, Pastor Bo from Toledo said, we need to be bold. We need to use our voices. We need to speak up. And 
we need to tell the person right in front of us they need Jesus. Don't have to worry about all the people over here and all the people over here and all the masses of people, just that person right in front of you that God puts there. You tell them about Jesus. How much? And you'll be surprised how many people want Him today. People are looking for an answer. They're looking for hope. They're looking for, you know, something that can take them somewhere that they, you know, feel confined by. You know, a lot of people feel confined today, fearful, unsure of themselves because of all the stuff around us. But our security is not in who we are. Our security is in who He is and what He's provided for us in the finished work of the cross. And He's the one that said on the cross, it is finished. Nothing we have to do except say, Lord, I believe. Because Jesus even said in John 6, the greatest thing we could ever do is just believe. That's why we have that up there. See it? Believe. Just believe. It's so, communion for me is so intimate. It's hard sometimes for me to even talk. I just want to rest in His presence. I feel so strong just resting in Him. I don't think I need to achieve anything or perform or to earn anything. It's a free gift. You know, we come to a place where we have a relationship with Him. I've, I've studied systematic theology all my life as a pastor, but I've come to find out the greatest theology I could ever have is relational theology with the God who loves me. The God who cares about me and just being related to Him. And it's not just today, it's every day. It's, it's every minute of every day. You know, and to live that way and to, you know, He's, he's talking to you all the time. You know, sometimes we're just not listening. <laughs> Many of us just leave the phone off the hook. If you ever had a phone off the hook kind of concept. <laughs> uh, but that's, you know, that's just who we are. But He's always talking to us. He's always telling us how much He loves us. He's always speaking to us. He's always trying to reassure us of His love. And that He never will leave us, never will He forsake us. He's always with you. He's always there, right with you. Forever and ever. Sometimes you can't feel it. But nonetheless, He's there because He loves each one of us. We are His children. Amen. He's a good, good Father. Sometimes even that song, as much as I love it, just can't say it all. They say that the English language, and we can't even say all the things that we feel and sense, that our spirits think and sense. Because the power of God, God's love is so strong. But I believe that in Christ, we're always blessed. Always. Every day. Even when you walk to go to the store or go to the bank or go to the gas station, it doesn't matter where you're going, you're always blessed. He's with you all the time. When you go to work, especially, He's with you. <laughs> He's always with you to strengthen you and give you what you need. But Jesus said these words to us. He said, and Paul wrote those to us in 1 Corinthians 11. He says, For I have received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which He was betrayed, He took the bread. took the bread. It's 
sometimes I feel like I'm the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. He said, take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take it together. My blood is still speaking today to all of mankind and is offering anybody whosoever will trust Him and love Him and give their life to Him. It cries for complete forgiveness to those who agree with God for His plan of salvation. When you agree to God's plan of salvation, you get complete forgiveness, past, present, and future. And it cancels literally the blood of Jesus cancels the wrath and judgment of God against us. Because Jesus took it on the cross for each one of us. And it's powerful, it's positive, it's dynamic because His blood identifies because it says in Acts 17.26 And He has made from one blood every nation of men. He has made from one blood every nation of men. Because the blood is the ultimate unifier of all mankind. It transforms the human, human heart and produces unity and it makes us all one body of Christ. Amen? And the blood purifies. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all our sins once for all. And it's an ongoing thing for all ages. And His blood produces resistance against infection sickness, and disease. This is a victory cup right here. This is the new covenant in His blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till He comes again. Let's raise our cup high for victory. Amen. If you could only see what you're doing in the Spirit. <laughs> For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till He comes again. Let's drink it together. That's where you bring in Psalm 34, verse 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen.
stops. It's always with us. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. Service keeps going on all week in you. Amen? But we had a big problem this week with our computer. We had these uh, updates that wanted to be updated in our computer and put our computer out of service for a little while. We couldn't do a bulletin. So we had to deal with that and uh, but Sue did 
who did make us a little flyer for next Sunday. It's uh, King of Kings for next week is Palm Sunday. And then if you turn it over, but you don't want to, you got to look at the last line on this flyer. There's some up there for you to get. It's pretty neat because the last line says, free pancake breakfast following service. So tomorrow, next week when you come to church, while we're worshiping, you will smell pancakes cooking. So you have to be extra strong to hear me preach. Because your stomach is going to be saying, I want pancakes now. <laughs> and sausage, and strawberries, and maple syrup, and butter and juice, and coffee, and tea, and water. <laughs> and on the back side of that, we have an, uh, a flyer. That there, these are all up there on the, when you come in about good, our Good Friday service on April 2nd. And then two days later, it's Easter Sunday. And last night, I tell you, Luke, you guys, and Leah, and you guys did a great job with that song, Rattle. That, we, can, <laughs> we can sing that song forever. I think we could sing that song for 20 minutes, just that one song. It's just, it's a powerful song. I mean, this place was rocking last night. It was, it was good. Graves in the Garden. You can watch the video. We have the video on Facebook Live, so it's still out there. So we've got just just even before e the evening, we already had 150 views before the evening was over by midnight. Usually we don't go that high in one day, but that was you know incredible time together. And we had a we had a pastor here from Canton. His name is Pastor Walter Moss. This is him here. He wrote a little booklet, and there's some of them up there. I have I left I think four up there. They're free. And he's, the title of the booklet is Why I'm a Black Pro-Life Pastor. And uh, it's all the books are signed. He signed all the books. He says, I sign just like a doctor, which means you can't read it. <laughs> so uh, he was here, and I've known Walter and his wife Darlene for maybe 30 years. They're, they're great people. They pastored in Canton. They're retired as pastors. But they're just... They're going after the Lord to, you know, get the word out. Because he said last night that was really a startling thing. He says his race, the black race, is the most, they're the most ones who are aborted as in, in the abortion clinics. And it's, it's, it's almost 45%. And uh, so he has a whole documentary in this little booklet. I have four up there, so if there's some who still want some, I know I can get more here. He might, I, I mean, not he might. Probably in a month or two, I'm going to bring him back to preach on a Sunday. So and you'll really enjoy Walter. Plus, he's a missionary to Cuba and uh, other places in Africa. He goes and ministers. He's got, a, he's got a great message of hope and life. And so that's all I have to say for announcements, I think. I think I covered everything. Was I, did I do a good job, Sue, or are we okay? <laughs> we're going to dismiss yeah, we're going to just Karen and the children. Just say this about the breakfast family. If you want to bring something to share, such as juice 
or strawberries or something like that. If you'd see Julie Mozak, stand up, Julie. She's organizing this, and um, it's hard to get the communi communication out sometimes. So it's not a need. You don't have to do it, but if you feel led to, to bring something to share with others, such as fruit or juice, uh, let's see Julie so she knows. Thanks, Peter. Amen. There they go. Bye, Landon. Bye, he said. <laughs> He's an awesome little boy. His mother took him on vacation to Disney World and she posted on Facebook he was taking money out of her purse. I said, that boy knows what he wants already. So little. <laughs> he must have saw some of his older sisters doing it or something. Figured that's where you get that's where the goodies are. <laughs> but he's a he's a cute kid. He'll talk to you. I don't care who you are in this room. If you want to talk to that little boy, he'll communicate to you. And that's awesome. That's an awesome thing. But I want to talk to you today about we're still in the series, The Oracles of Grace. I want to talk about it's kind of a hard title, but it'll be okay because uh God hates religion, which is religion. God hates rely. If you ever, did you ever take the word apart? Lies in it. Religion. But in Amos 5:21, in the New King James, Amos wrote. He said, "I hate." And he was talking about the Lord. He said. I hate and I despise your feast days and I do not savor your sacred assemblies. And the reason that was is because they came to him, you know, in a religious attitude. And anything about religion is about bondage. It's about turning back to your old ways, your old traditions. It was like Israel wanting to, after God set them free on the way to the promised land, they wanted to go back to Egypt. After they cried and complained for so many years to get out of there and God sends a deliverer named Moses and he starts bringing them out and they start complaining and murmuring and we know that Philippians 2.14 in the New Covenant says do all things without complaining and murmuring. Well, did you ever think why did God put all that stuff in there? Because He knows us. And He knows that when we don't get our way we can be very complaining and we can be very murmuring and do those kinds of things. And then Isaiah 1, verse 11, and I'm not going to read verses 20 through 20, not 12 through 20, but just one verse 11. He says, To what purpose is this multitude of your sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I've had enough of your burnt offerings or your rams and your fat of, fat of their fed, fed cattle. I don't delight in the blood of bulls or the lambs or goats. Because God's really about relationship. He just... Even in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, he really didn't want all that stuff. He just wanted people's hearts. That's all he wants from you is your heart. He wants you to be surrendered and yield and desperate, like we sang in the song. I'm desperate for you. You know, he's that's what because religion is killing us. And who is us? The church, the body of Christ. It kills us, and it's not good for us. For those of us here who know our Bibles, we should not be surprised, since it was religion that killed Jesus. 
It was the religious leaders of Jesus' day who called for His arrest and eventually His crucifixion. In fact, when they had a choice between Jesus and another man, they took the murderer and put Jesus on the cross. Why they just couldn't tolerate... You know what they disliked about Jesus? What the, what the world dislikes about us. They could not tolerate His good news message. They could not tolerate His love for them. They could not tolerate that they could be forgiven of all their sins. And that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of you and me and of everyone, was coming to us through Jesus to offer humanity direct access to God. And when God offered salvation as a gift of grace received by a simple faith, God threatened the job security of a lot of religious men performing traditional rituals in religious places. And I don't know if you know this, but there's a lot of religion still. There's a lot of Pharisees still. See, religion is a power play, establishing men and rarely women an unchallenged authority over others. I mean, I know a lot of churches in this area. It's crazy. I know churches that they will not let a woman touch the pulpit. And if the woman wants to say something to the congregation, they have to do it in the basement. And they can't even use the pulpit in the basement. Even if you wanted to use a music stand, they wouldn't even let you use a music stand. This is true. I'm a living witness. I, I've seen it. We brought a girl in who is a missionary from Africa who saved over 5,000 people to speak at the church and they said she can't speak here. You think this is a church of five people? No, this is a church of thousands thousand congregants in this church. This is right around us. There's, there's probably 200 churches right around us that don't believe in a woman touching a pulpit. You, don't, you can't tell me that's not religion. Like, I just, let me read this sentence again. Religion is a power play establishing men In unchallenged, in unchallenged authority overall. You don't ask questions. And there's a lot of churches in here, if you go up to the pastor and start asking questions, they don't talk to you. They won't even respond to you. They act like you're invisible. See, religious authority is absolute authority over the work lives, love lives, and even the thought lives of others. Thought lives. With the approval of God and the threat of hell backing up the men who rule. And when Jesus Himself challenged this whole religious system of Israel and people were beginning to catch on, weakening the grip of the religious power mongers, they wanted to stone Him. you know how many times He escaped being stoned? Because it was prophesied He was not going to die by being stoned. He was going to give His life freely on the cross. So the religious leaders turned to the political powers to get rid of Jesus. 
Listen to what I said. And this unholy alliance of religion and politics always wrecks havoc by building a society on the myth of all myths that the universe is run by a, a power, a sovereign power, rather than humble love. See, over the years, my ministry, I've been pastoring 36 years, and I've learned that the hardest thing to learn about grace is to unlearn what we've been taught about religion. Because we all got some religion in us. Some of us have got spirit religion. Some of us got strongholds. But reading about Jesus in our Bible causes us to determine that Jesus, when you talk about Him, it's scandalous what He did. Jesus! We're not talking about Paul or Peter who always put his foot in his mouth, who denied Jesus. Amen? We're talking about Jesus Himself. But Jesus is not somebody who was the founder of a world religion, but He was a challenger of all religions, even ours. And He was very anti-institutional. He was anti-institutional. And I'm not suggesting that Jesus opposes all forms of organization, but He opposes dependence on any organization for our connection with God. That's religion. And I'm talking today about Jesus who forms us a compelling picture of who He is in the Bible itself. Because the primary mission of Jesus was to tear down religion as the foundation for people's connection with God and replace it with Himself. He says, you want to get to God? I'm the road map. I'm the zip code. You can't get to God no other way but me. Timothy wrote about that. He says, there's only one mediator between God and men. Jesus. And the book of Acts says, there's no other name given under heaven whereby men must be saved. But the name of Jesus. And Jesus Himself talked quite frequently about the kingdom of God. It is God and His people living together the way He originally intended. And for this reason, much of what Jesus did and taught only makes sense when we realize His stated goal of offering salvation to the world. To the world. And also included the to get rid of religion as a competing system. He wanted to abolish it. He wants to get rid of religion. I mean, he had a problem going on where he lived when he came to the religious system of Israel. He had a problem on his hand. And guess what? He was the creator of this group. The Bible said he came to his own and his own received him not. How do you think he felt? So when we actually understand this, the New Testament, the New Covenant literally comes alive for us with great strength and power. And the stories that Jesus told, the arguments He engaged in, and even the healings He offered, all help to demolish 
the smug assumptions of the religious people of his day and to destabilize their dependence on the established religious system. After finding the true message of the finished work of the cross, in reality, a shorter word would be to use the word grace. I began to realize that Jesus described in the Bible was far more attractive, exciting, and scandalous than the meek and mild Jesus many churches proclaim. Innocent Jesus. I mean, He was definitely innocent. But let me start today with the first miracle Jesus ever recorded in the New Testament. Let's go to John chapter 2. Thanks, Mark. You know me. This is where you buckle your seatbelt. And if you can picture yourself flying on a plane, this is where the oxygen masks come down. <laughs> John chapter 2. Let's start early on in John because Jesus does a lot of things in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that made his religious leaders quite mad. John 2, 1 through 11, on the third day there was a wedding in Canaan of Galilee of all places. He's at a wedding. And the mother of Jesus was there, Mary. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Jesus said to her, woman, you can call her mommy. You can call her mom. You can call her Mary. Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour is not coming. It's not my time. What you're asking for me to do is reveal myself. I'm not ready. His mother said to the servants, <laughs> she knew she was a Deborah. Whatever he says to you, do it. It wasn't a long sentence. About seven words. And now there were set there six water pots of stone. You want to circle six water pots of stone? They're very important part of this story. According to the manner of purification of the Jews. Let's say that again. Six water pots of stone. According to the manner of purification of the Jews containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. I'm going to go ahead a little in my notes here. That would equal 3,000 four-ounce glasses of wine. 3,000. Four ounces of glasses of wine. A little excessive, huh? I think the Lord wanted to give them a lot of joy juice because they were sour pusses. It's just joy juice. Huh? Hey. If Jesus wants to do it, I guess it's cool, right? Jesus said to them, verse 7, just like Mommy told them, whatever He says, you do it. 
Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. And when the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom. And he said to him, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine. And when the guests have well drunk, then they bring out the mad dog 20. They get the wine on the shelf that you can get for a quarter. When I was a kid. That was a long time ago. Mad Dog 2020. <laughs> you kept the good wine until now. This is the beginning of signs Jesus did in the Canaan of Galilee and manifested His glory and his disciples believed in him. So Jesus turned water into wine. You ever have that experience? I've had this experience. But not myself, with six people in a car. We're all drinking a bottle of water. I said, let's pray this water becomes wine. We got all drunk. Never turned color. Didn't turn wine color, but we got drunk. And we thank God there was a guy driving that didn't drink the water. Because we would have been on the side of the road laughing and crying and praising the Lord all by ourselves. But this is one of my favorite miracles that Jesus did. And I think for most of us here today, it's your favorite too. Jesus used His Holy Spirit power not only to heal the sick and raise the dead, but also to encourage the celebration of life at all levels. And yet when we're talking about the end of religion, I believe we can rethink this miracle as one that Jesus displayed in debunking religion. Because that's what Jesus was all about. In this miracle, Jesus uses six huge stone jars, water jars. I told you to make note of that. Each jar could hold between 120 and 180 gallons of water. A little bigger than a little wine Bible you get anywhere you would buy it. And he turned the wine, he turned the water into wine, which would fill again 3,000 four ounce glasses of wine. And though we see it and read it here, John. As simply as a miracle in the Greek, the word for miracle is literally the word for sign. Look to see what he's really saying. See, something that points towards the true nature of Jesus' message and mission. The miracle is not about providing refreshments for thirsty gifts, guests, excuse me, guests. It is more, there's more going on here than we are invited to look for by the Holy Spirit. It is possible that Jesus' mother, it's possible, listen to me, it is possible that Jesus' mother Mary was invited as a hired help at this wedding. And Jesus, on the other hand, was invited by Mary to come with His disciples to help out and to serve. But either way, Mary turns to Jesus for help, apparently aware of Jesus' supernatural abilities. And Jesus at first resists 
not wanting to expose himself yet, but Mary insists, and like a good little Jewish boy, Jesus listens to his mother. And everybody at the wedding was glad he did. What's amazing about this sign is John tells us that Jesus did not have the wine served out of ordinary containers set aside for the religious, religious ritual. Here is the question we need to ask. Why would Jesus use these sacred, sacred, you see the word there? It's in your Bible. Sacred stone jars. These jars were used by the religious Pharisees for regular hand washing as a symbol for the guest of their desire to remain pure from the sins of the world. All the while, there were other containers available that he could have held the wine into. He could have used the wine jugs. He could have used the wine kegs. He could have used the wine skins. They were sitting there right in plain sight, empty and waiting to be filled. So why did Jesus use the ceremonial stone jars that were the sacred icons of their religious tradition? Man, Jesus, He's good. He's got my vote. Why would Jesus do something that would be so potentially offensive. Through Jesus' first miracle sign, He intentionally desecrates a religious icon. He purposely chooses these sacred jars to challenge the religious system by converting them from icons of personal purification into symbols of Relational celebration. And Jesus takes this group of people at this wedding celebration from holy water of the Pharisees to a wedding wine. Listen, if you don't think Jesus loves the party, you better read your Bible some more. He just made 3,000 glasses of wine. Oh, Pastor, it was not alcoholic. With it. You think Jesus is afraid of us celebrating? He's not. Because Jesus was doing this. He was taking them as He is taking us from legalism, from rules, from lists, to life, from rules to relationship, from religion to relationship, And Jesus was definitely saying that His message was a message of love. Amen? Amen. And we need to radically accept and embrace this engaging love so that we too can get rid of our old ways of religious tradition. His new wine demanded, and the Bible talks about this in Matthew 9.17. You can mark it down and read it later. But his new wine demands new wineskins. You can't pour the old wine into new. They'll break. And you, like me, had to to let go of our religious assumptions and let Jesus of the Bible 
Be the one who He says is and He is, and not the one who 2,000 years ago church history and tradition said He should be. He's, a lot of people don't even know who Jesus is. I remember preaching about this maybe 10 years ago. I had two families leave the church. They couldn't believe that Jesus can turn water into wine. And that they could have a celebration and even say to them, why did you save the best till now? I hope you are more like me and wanting to learn more and more. I don't know if you heard me earlier, but you have a lot, and I have a lot to unlearn. Because we have a lot of law in our head. We got a lot of religion. And a lot of religious spirits we have to let go. They confine us. They limit us from enjoying the true freedom that we should could have in Jesus. We have to let go assumptions and let Jesus of the Bible be the one who He says He is and what He wants to do. And I hope you are wanting to learn more and more about the Jesus who thinks our world needs more wine and less religion. <laughs> I remember, boy, when, when we were going through a revival in 95 through 2007, I'd have people laughing all day. I mean, they'd be laughing. We'd leave them here in the church, let them laugh for hours. They couldn't stop. They, got, they drank the wine. You guys can drink the wine anytime you want it in the spirit realm. And I know that this is one miracle or sign that is simply the tip of the irreligious iceberg contained within the Bible. Some glaring examples that we are definitely in a different time and season than the time of Moses. In Exodus 4.9, we know that Moses, the lawgiver, turned water into blood as a symbol of God's blood. Yet here in the New Covenant, we see Jesus turn water into wine as a symbol of God's blessing and joy. Psalms 104, you can put that up, John. Psalm 104, verses 14 and 15. It says, He causes the grass to grow for the cattle and vegetation for the service of man that He may bring forth food from the earth. You see that next phrase, verse 15? It says, And make wine. And wine. Make wine. You can put make in front of there because in the, in the original Hebrew, make is in there. And make wine that makes glad the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread which strengthens man's hearts. Sounds like a blessing. Sounds like joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. He didn't say the grumpiness of Jesus is our strength. He didn't say the depressions of our lives is our strength. Amen? And it's prophesied that God would raise up a prophet like Moses, who was Jesus the Christ. Let's go to Acts chapter 3. I'll read that with you. I think John will put it up there for you. If you have your Bible, you can mark it up. If you can't write in your Bible, throw it away. I'll give you one that you can. I destroy Bibles with my color. I color. I ink it. I write notes. I shoot arrows to my wife. 
She shoots arrows back at me too. But we have fun together. I only buy one book. You know, I, 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 like, I, I like a book on something. I buy one book. And then she say, let me see that book, honey. And she, I say, show her the book. And she takes it from me. And she won't give it back. She, she's not even an Indian. She just keeps it. And I said, Lord, what am I going to do? I prayed. And the Lord said, you can solve it real easy. Just buy two books. And when you get a book, give her one. She'll never take your book again. It works. It works. Acts 3.22, For Moses truly said to the fathers, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear in all things. Not some things, all things. Whatever he says to you. And it, and it shall be that every soul who will not hear this prophet, that prophet, shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Yes, and all the prophets from Samuel and all of those who follow, as many as have spoken, as also foretold these days, you are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. To you first, God, having raised up his servant, Jesus, sent him to do what? Bless you. Bless you. Bless you. In turning away every one of you from your iniquities. Moses and Jesus offered people freedom from whatever enslaved them, whether Egypt on the one hand or sin and selfishness on the other. Moses achieved that freedom for God's people through the demonstration of God's wrath and judgment. Jesus offered it by demonstration of God's grace and mercy through Jesus' death and resurrection from the dead. Man, we are such a blessed people. If you're waiting for God's wrath, you, you, Jesus took it on the cross. Give it up. Get rid of that religious thing. If you're waiting for God to judge you, get rid of your religion. He took your judgment. Read your Bible. It's in there. It's in the New Covenant. It's written. I'm not telling you anything that's not in there. An author friend of mine put it this way. He said, Believe me, you who are religious and Christian, it would not be worthwhile to teach Christianity if it were for the sake of Christianity. And believe me, you who are estranged from religion and far away from Christianity, is not our purpose to make you religious and Christian when we interpret the call of Jesus for our time. We call Jesus the Christ. Not because He brought a new religion, but because He is the end of religion. There's a church right now in Lubbock, Texas. You know the name of the churches? The Church Without Religion. That's the name of it. above religion and irreligion, but about Christianity and not Christianity. Jesus was always teaching, even when He wasn't teaching. He said in John 14, 6, that He was the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father except through Him. There's no other way. All roads don't lead to God. Only Jesus could get you there. I mean, if you put a piece of mail 
and you put an address on there, but if you don't include the zip code, it goes nowhere. Yeah, really. You got to put the zip code on. Usually it comes back to the sender. You want to know who Jesus is? He's the zip code. He gets you there. He gets you right to God. He said He was the truth and those who followed Him lived with Him and came to Him known as God's Word to all humankind lived out in the flesh. John 1, 1, 14 and 18. Jesus came to reveal Himself as the message of God the Father. You know what I like about Jesus? He's my show and tell. If I want to see Jesus... All I got to do, if I want to see the Father, all I got to do is see Jesus. Because Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Amen? He's your show and tell. And in the recordings of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I'm almost done, we find the words and the works of Jesus as inviting us to the most religious outcast and offensive to religious leaders who hated Him. Why? Because both groups understood his message. It was a message that brought hope to sinners to whom became become saints and a threat to the stewards of religion. And as we look at Jesus through these four accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we always find Jesus turning things upside down and inside out. Inverting expectations and inverting social circles. For instance... He would say things like in Matthew 20:16, "The last shall be first, and the first shall be last." Let me close with these final thoughts today. Our Bibles are literally a multifaceted message of the gospel and the end of religion. And our Bibles radiate the person of Jesus from Genesis to Revelation. I don't know about you, but I, I, I can't read enough. I have, I have an app on my phone that has 65 translations of the Bible. 65. If you think that's a lot, I got more. I can't get enough. I can't read enough. I love Jesus. He's everything to me. We sang that song last night. He's everything we need. This good news message of Jesus is the most important truth ever revealed and it's worth getting in deep into our bones. Jesus is Emmanuel. God with us. A foundational truth that God is for us and not against us as everything in life flows from Him. Then in the last book of the Bible in Revelation 1, 5, and 6, Jesus says He loved us and has freed us from all our sins by His blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve God and the Father for all of eternity. Because the end story of the Gospel is is taking us somewhere into complete union with God to be welcomed into the love life of, of the God who is love. Acts 17.28 says, we are His sons and daughters. And we never have to perform to get God to love us. You don't have to perform. You don't have to pray an hour to think, make, make Him like you. In fact, prayer is not a work. It's a relationship. It's just you cry it out. 
I mean, there's a lot of... I told you, I think I told you this a couple of weeks ago. I said, if you want to get offended, just get on the freeway. You know, somebody on the left lane, or if you have three lanes, don't drift all the way over and make a right turn in front of you. Last week, I was on I-90 going down to... Going down to... Where's I going down? Down, you know, to Woodland, going all the way down past... Uh, I didn't go. I didn't go that way, or, or you know, I went straight. I'm going straight. I'm in the last two lanes over here. This guy's over here in his car. I said, "Oh no, he's coming." I'm doing 70 miles an hour. This boy starts. He floors it. He comes. He missed me by this much, and he came right across in front of me, and because he wanted to go downtown, he didn't want to go where I was going. I was going towards 55th Street, Broadway. And I said, Lord, I'm not preaching about this stuff anymore. <laughs> Don't ever preach on ants. I did once when I first, I first started pastoring. I had ants when I went home. My wife said, if you preach on ants again, we're done. I was preaching about the strength of ants because the Bible talks about the strength of ants, what they can do all together. But Acts 17, 28 says, We are His sons and daughters. We never have to perform to get God to love us. We simply embrace and accept His love for us as a gift from Him. Amen? I'd like to close today with this prayer for us. It's found in our Bibles that Apostle Paul wrote, on our behalf in Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. I'll be saying it from the New Century Version. It says, I bow in prayer before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth gets its true name. And I ask the Father in His great glory to give you the power to be strong inwardly through His Spirit. And I pray that Christ will live in your hearts by faith and that your life will be strong in love and be built up on love. And I pray that you and all of God's holy people will have the power to understand the greatness of Christ's love, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep that love is. Christ's love is greater than anyone could ever know, and I pray that you will be able to know that love, and that you can be filled with the fullness of God, with God's power working in us, in us, God can do much, much more than anything we could ask or imagine. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus for all time, forever and ever. Amen. Can you say amen with me? Amen. See, the word amen is a declaration of affirmation, meaning so be it. I agree. I agree. And God, I just want you to know, right on. Right on, God. And it's hard for me to read all of this without shouting amen and amen. And echoing. Uh, just sometimes, just when you get some time, if you don't want to do it here in front of all your peers, when you're alone, just start shouting amen. Because when you shout amen, you're echoing God's word to all who can hear it. On Friday, we were with a group of people some who we knew, some who we, mostly who we knew, and we were at a restaurant here in Lakewood. I won't say where, but if you want to know, you can ask me later. 
And we were talking about things. And the owner of the restaurant came and talked to us. And we were talking about things in the world. And we were giving her hope and telling her that God is still good. He's still on the throne. And He's still going to win this battle for us that we're in in this world. And this woman, who I know doesn't go to church, I've known her probably for 35, 40 years, she said, Praise the Lord. I said, Jesus, you're so good. Amen? She said, Praise the Lord. You know what I said? Amen. You know what she said? Praise the Lord. You know what I said? Amen. Do you know what she said? Praise the Lord. I said, we're having church here. I said, God is good. Amen. I love Jesus. Don't you? They're going to sing a song here, I guess, in a few minutes when I get ready to sit down. (laughs) But if you need prayer today for your eyes, eyes, I don't know if you have something going on with your eyes or I don't know what, or if you need prayer for anything, your knees, your ears, your nose, (laughs) whatever you need. Whatever you need prayer for, I'll be glad to pray with you. I want to thank you for worshiping with us today. God is so good. If you don't hear anything I've said all day, just remember that He's a good, good Father. And He loves you. And He's always with you. He never leaves you nor forsake you. You're never alone. He is always there. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Yeah.